Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome everyone who is in the house, those that are online in the sanctuary and at True Worth. And I want to say welcome to those who join us in the middle of the week. I know more and more there are some, for whatever reason, God has prompted you. You have found us online somehow on YouTube, and, and there you are in the middle of the week, maybe in the middle of the night. So I say welcome to you as well. And however you found us, whatever you're a new timer, a long timer, a, a few times, uh, we're in a message series we're calling A Thrill of Hope. And we're talking about reconciliation, the hope of reconciliation. And last week was about reconciliation to God. And I'm going to ask everyone now who can hear my voice right now to be open to the possibility of God using you to reconcile someone back to God. Because we want everyone to be reconciled to God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, first of all, those of you that are watching online right now, call Pathway Home and you live in this geographic area. We want you to come by... After worship, after 9.30 worship this morning, there'll be somebody under the port of cachet between 10.30 and noon probably. Come by and pick up one of these signs connecting people to people and people to God. Put it out there on your lawn. We're going to give you a little wire there to let people know uh, that where you go to church and you're a believer. And maybe even having this on the line out there will prompt a conversation with someone who's walking in your neighborhood. And if you live far away, a great distance, and you would like one of these, uh, just kind of type there in the chat. Uh, you're interested, somebody to connect with you, and we'll mail it to you. We will send it to you wherever you are. And if you're watching at home right now or in the hospital or someplace and you can't get here this morning, uh, send someone yourself during the week, the Welcome Center. Uh, you can pick up one of these. And if you're in the house this morning, same thing. Stop at the Welcome Center before you leave. They'll hand you one of these, put these in your sign in your yard. If you live on a corner, get two, one for both sides. That is fine, okay? Now, here's the whole why we're doing this in part. The longer and longer you get in church and the farther along you are in your journey as a believer in Jesus, sometimes we forget about those that are on the outside. And we stop inviting. We stop talking to people about their faith. And I'm telling you, at Christmas, people are open especially with everything going on in the world. They're open. They're, they're looking for, searching for something because the world's not offering it to them. So I want to challenge you. Besides putting the sign up in the yard, be looking for the opportunity for the conversation just to get to know someone. And just very simply invite them. Invite them to join you on Christmas Eve. Invite them to join you online. Invite them to come to your house and sit and have a watch party online or in your house and to participate and to see what God will do. So that is the ask this morning as we... Uh, go into this message this morning, which is reconciliation with one another. Now, before we go there, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. That's where we're going to start in a moment. And we're going to stay in Genesis. We're going to work through about 10 or 11 chapters this morning. So hang on. Uh, we're doing some Bible work, uh, but let's begin with prayer. Uh, good morning, God. Here we are again. Uh, for some, God, I'll say good night because there's some who are watching this later on in the evening. Uh, here we are. Your daughters and your sons, your children, uh, sinners broken, saved by grace. Uh, some of us, God, don't even yet know who you are. We're not even sure about you. But somehow or another, we, we, I found this little church in Burleson, Texas online, or I find myself in this place of worship or at True Worth, and um, I want to know who you are, guys. Many of us do. We're trying to know more. And God, some of us come here with needs as we approach Christmas. It's a very tender time of year that the relationships in our family tree and friends that have been broken or wounded or severed, 
And at Christmas, things are a little more fresh and emotional. Some of us, God, have lost someone to death, and, and we're already anticipating the service, even this evening at 4 o'clock, this service of remembrance. And it's someone, God, who has died, but yet we never were quite reconciled with them. And there's, there's this broken pain and wound with someone, even though they now live with you in heaven. God, some of us here, we need some healing grace poured upon us this morning. We need some teaching and instruction from you on how to be reconciled to each other. So please, God, please, do what only you can do this morning. By the power of your Holy Spirit, in the name of the resurrected Jesus, amen. Now, I want us to dive in by thinking about the species of birds that primarily exist in the Galapagos Islands near Ecuador. There's a species of birds called the Sola Granti. Here's the picture of what these birds look like. And these birds reproduce by having two eggs a couple of days apart. And the parents only plan on raising one of the chicks. So when the second egg hatches, the firstborn comes up to the secondborn and deliberately pushes it out of the nest to watch it to die. And the parents just watched. They knew nothing. Now, technically, uh, this is called the obligate sibling murder. This is what it's called, obligate sibling murder. Some people call it, naturalists call it the Cain and Abel syndrome. It's the idea that the second born is an afterthought. The second born was really unnecessary. And the second born is a spare that is just discarded. Any second born in the house feeling a little uncomfortable right now? Uh, any second born in the house going, so that's why I'm so messed up, right? Is that why my family is? That's what's going on with me. Yeah. Now, there's this recent, recent study that shows, and there's many studies, but here's one of them that shows that in a family, in a household where you have small children, and these kids are between the ages of, you know, four and five, you know, two and six, somewhere in that area, in that sort of preschool, kind of early school era time, that they fight, those siblings fight among each other 6.2 times an hour. That's 90 times a day. That's about 3,000 times a year. Now, that is why some of you young parents right now, this is why you're so exhausted, because you're nothing but a referee. And this is why some of you grandparents, you send them home. Because you just can't handle it anymore. You don't have the stamina or the energy. Now, this is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for centuries. In the ancient world, they had something called the law, the law of primogeniture. And the law of primogeniture is this, that the firstborn gets all the good stuff. And that's why when you open up the scriptures in the beginning chapters of Genesis, you see all these sibling skirmishes. Cain hated firstborn, his younger brother Abel, secondborn. And then God confronts him. And Cain responds, am I my brother's keeper? Do I got to take care of that guy? In other words, he's really saying, I am not going to be my brother's keeper. But if you will notice, as you, if you read, if the reader's careful, if you read very carefully the stories and the chapters in Genesis, you're going to see that God is overturning this 
ancient law of the law of primogeniture that the firstborn gets all the good stuff. And what you're going to see in these opening chapters, that, that God is kind of saying, hey, those of you who just think the firstborn gets all the blessing, the world system say the, the firstborn is the only one who gets it. I'm saying everybody is welcome. Everybody's imperfect. And everybody's a candidate for a blessing from me, God says. The kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven, everyone is available to God's blessing. And as you read the opening chapters of Genesis, God is asking a question. Is there anybody, is there anybody who will say, yes, I will be my brother's keeper? It's a haunting question that's raised throughout the scriptures in the opening chapters. Now, here in a moment, we're going to dive into Genesis chapter 37. And we're going to build on the story we talked about last week. And if you were not here last week, you did not join us online last week, please go back sometime this week and catch up. You can download the podcast, go to the website, however you want to do it. But it will help you even understand what we're about to do here. But before we go here, I want to ask you to do something. If you can hear my voice any time of the day or night, wherever you are, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you as you go through this, this scripture this morning, that you be mindful of people in your life where there's a broken relationship. Maybe it's with a brother or a sister. Maybe it's with a parent or a grandparent. Maybe it's with a child that you came into because that you married into and you, you, you got somebody else's child when you got married. And they're not from your own body, but they're now like kind of yours. You're kind of in that role. But there's a estrangement there. Maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's some good friend. I just want, I want you to, throughout this worship time, I want you to let those names come to the surface and be aware of these people as we approach Christmas where the relationships are not right because something has happened to not make them right. What does it mean to be reconciled to one another? Now, let's have a foundational understanding of reconciliation so we all are talking about the same thing before we go any further because this morning is reconciliation with others. In your notes, a kind of definition for reconciliation. It is the rebuilding in some form, some form of a healthy relationship. In some form. It may not be the form that it used to be. It may not be all lovey-dovey and great and wonderful and fine, but it is healthy. No hatred, no animosity, no trying to get them, no revenge, no bitterness. Boundaries that are appropriate treating each other with some sense of decency, at least how the scriptures would line up and what decency means. Now, here's where we're going. Genesis chapter 37 is a starting point. We're going to whirl through the scriptures pretty fast. I'm going to tell you a story. It's a Christmas story. You're not going to believe it's a Christmas story. But I'm telling you right now, when we get to the end, you're going to say, oh, it is a Christmas story. Chapter 37, verse 1 and 2. We're going to learn about a family where there were 12 brothers. That's a big family. And we're going to talk about one particular. His name was Joseph. Verse 2. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now, in this story here, we learn there's, a, there's 12 brothers, but there's only one dad, and his name is Jacob. And Jacob has four wives. The first one is Leah. The second one is Rachel. The second one is the maidservants of his wives, Leah and Rachel. That is Zilpah and Bilhah, their maidservants. 
Now, Bilhah and Zilpah were the lowest status of the wives. That meant their children were the lowest status of the children. That meant Joseph, who was 17, they would be easy to pick on because they're low status. And he does. And it says right here that he goes to his dad and gives a bad report about those brothers from those two women. We don't know what the report was, but he was kind of acting like a spy. Now you go to verse 3. Israel, that is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornament ornate robe for him. Now here's what we know. We know that Joseph is the daughter, is the son of the, of the wife that he loved more than anything, Rachel. Jacob really, really, really loved Rachel. He loved her. And Joseph is the firstborn of Rachel. And at this time, he's the youngest. Born to him at his old age, so he loves them all the more, but primarily it was because of Rachel. Over in Genesis chapter 29, the word tells us that, that Rachel was beautiful. And in fact, it says she had a lovely figure, the scripture says. Over in Genesis chapter 39, it says that, that Joseph himself was well-built and handsome. So Joseph, we know, got all the good genes, all the good stuff from Rachel. And oh, she was special. But it also says down here that the dad, Jacob, for Joseph, gives him a gift. It's gift-giving time, right? Imagine at your house gift-giving time. And let's say you have 12 sons. And you go buy one gift, not 12 one, and you give it to one son. How do you think the other kids are going to feel? Look what happens here in the story. There in verse 4, when his brothers saw that, he gave them this robe, this multicolored robe. They, they could see their father loved him more than any of them, and they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Now, a little time out here. I think it's very interesting. Notice that the one who's causing the problem right now is not Joseph, it is Jacob, it is the father. But nobody goes up to dad and says, hey dad, dad, I am really angry that you're treating Joseph as the favorite. You're giving him all these gifts. Nobody does that. They don't talk about the real problem. Listen to me, church. So many of you in your families, you never talk about the real issue. You dance around the real issue. You pass the blame over here, and you talk about it over here, and you talk in all this different language, but you never talk about the root of the problem. They never really talk about the problem. And the problem is a dad playing favorites. And the problem does not erupt immediately in violence to say there's brokenness. Violence is not the first thing. It says here they could not speak a kind word to him. In your notes, number one, the first sign of a broken relationship it's the beginning of the absence of kindness. In a relationship, when someone starts to withdraw, when you start to avoid, when you get silent for days on end, when you treat them indifferently, and that lasts for an extended period of time, that is a seed, that is a wedge where a broken relationship is getting ready to happen. Now, now Joseph here, uh, he does, he's clueless. He doesn't help matters, either, because it says there in verse 5, he has a dream. I mean, it's a crazy dream. 
that all these brothers are kind of like sheaves of wheat. And one day they're going to bow down before him and worship him. And Joseph, he was clueless. He was just kind of, has very no self-awareness that his brothers and what they were feeling. Because he doesn't keep the dream to himself. He tells his brothers. And it says they hated him because he told them. In fact, you see in verse 8, he says, hey, listen, do you intend to reign over us? Are you actually going to rule over us? And it says they hated him all the more because of the dream that he had. And then it gets worse down here in verse 9. He has a sequel to that dream. Anybody had a sequel to a dream before? Well, you have just an extension. He has a sequel, and this time mom and dad bow down to him. He calls the family meaning. Hey, family, I want to tell you all. Here's what's going to happen. You're all going to worship me one day. And then it says right there in verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him. They were so jealous. Could anybody be so clueless? to not be aware of what's going on with your siblings and everything going on, and you stand up and just tell them all this stuff that makes you all this and all that, could anybody be besides so clueless? Am I the only one? Clueless. Unaware what other people in the room are feeling, what they're experiencing. And dad's not aware either. Because dad, he sends his other brothers in 12 and 13, hey, go tend the sheep. Go take care of the sheep. And they're going to take care of the sheep. And he said, Joseph, I want you to come in here, boy. And I want you to go, I want you to go check on your brothers. You know those brothers that are homicidally mad at you? You know those brothers that are so jealous of you, they want to kill you? I want you to go check on them and come back and tell me what they are doing. I'm going, you got to be kidding me. What parent is so stupid that would ask their kids to actually spy on each other? Now, I'm telling you, this is a Christmas story. You're not going to believe me, but it is. So Joseph goes, the Scripture says. He goes. So he goes looking for his brothers, and it says down here in verse 18, they saw him coming from a long way off. They can't see his face, but they know it's him. How they know it's him? He's wearing the robe. He's the only one that got one. And it says down here, you know what? We got to kill that guy. We got to make it look like animals did it, but we're going to kill the dude. And look what it says in verse 19. They say, here comes that dreamer, and they're talking about this to each other. Push the pause button, wisdom note. When you start talking, rehearsing your anger with other people, you're setting yourself up for problems. Number two in your notes, rehearsing anger with someone who is sympathetic with your anger will only fuel my anger. Hey, come on, guys. They all started talking. Let's, here comes that dreamer. Let's get him. See, some of you here in the house, in the room, online, you think it's therapeutic that when you get all mad and upset about it, you want to call someone. And you want everybody to hear how mad and how upset you are, how indignant, how offended, how mad and angry you are, what they did to you. And you want them to get all upset and agree with you, right? Hey, you're right. They're a jerk. You need to do this to them. You need to lay it on them. They're no good. Sorry, sorry. No. And you think that's going to help you. You think that's therapy. It's just going to make things worse. There are some people in your life, I want to call them anger incubators. 
When you get all bent out of shape and you let them know what you're thinking and feeling, when it comes back at you, it's just incubated, it's heated up, it's even worse than before. And that's what's happening here. Do you see this function? Can you see what's happening in the family? But then Judah, verse 26 of this chapter 37, he stands up. He's now the fourth born. He offers an alternative plan, and here's his plan. Hey, let's don't kill Joseph. Let's don't go to jail for that little scoundrel. Hey, let's sell him. Let's make some money off the dude. And let's just take his clothes and go dip them in ghost blood and go show them to dad. And dad's going to think he's dead. And what clothing do you think they're going to take? The robe of many colors. And so that's what they do. And it says down there in verse 32, they take it to him. Hey, they say, hey, dad, hey, dad, we found this. Examine it. Hey, see if it's your son's robe. Do you recognize it? Now, if you were here last week, I, told, I taught you that when you're reading through the book of Genesis, the word recognize is a key word. And every time you see that word recognize in the Bible, you need to underline or circle and make a note of it. It's a very critical word to understand the text and understand the book of Genesis. And right here, he says, this is the key verse, do you, exam, do you examine it? Do you see if it's your son's robe? Now, notice what they don't say. They don't say, let us know if it's Joseph's robe. They don't say that. They don't say, notice, it's our brother's robe. See, this is what you and I do. When you and I get angry with someone, we don't speak their name. We dehumanize them. Because when you dehumanize someone, you can say everything you want about them and just pile it on and make it as bad as you want to because you've distanced yourself from them when you dehumanize them. And that is what they do. And so Jacob here comes to believe that his son, his favorite son, uh, Joseph, that he is dead. He's gone. In verse 35 it says, okay, they come to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. He says, nope, I'm going to mourn until I join my son in the grave. Now, in the Jewish tradition, you only grieve for a certain amount of time. Maximum time was a year if it was your kids. They had this time seven days called the day of Shiva. Where after the funeral, after the burial, you really just grieve, 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 grieve. And here's what he's saying. I'm not playing by Hebrew rules. I, when that kid was, I loved him so much more than anybody else. I'm going to grieve him painfully till the day I die. Now, chapter 37 comes to an end. That's one chapter. And they accomplished one goal. They got rid of Joseph the one they were jealous of. But they did not get what they wanted. Their father's love. They did not get healing for their family. You see, they got what they asked for. And sometimes in fights, in family conflicts, you get what you ask for, but you don't get what you really want, what you really need down deep within your soul. And so Joseph's gone. He's gone for some 20, 22 plus years. He is, he is kidnapped. He is enslaved. He is falsely accused. He is put in prison. We pick up and find him again over in chapter 40 of Genesis. He is in jail. Much time has passed. 
and he finds himself in jail, and now something's changed in, in Joseph. The suffering of 20-plus years of estrangement from his family and thinking about, well, all of a sudden something's changed, and he's in jail, in prison with two other guys. And these two guys have a very bad dream. And, and Joseph, is, who was oblivious to what his brothers were feeling, he goes to them and says, hey, guys, why are you sad today? He's no longer narcissistic. He cares about them. He notices what they were feeling. In most families, the problem happens because you're not aware and don't notice what other people are feeling. He finally notices. He says, can I help? They say, yeah. He tells them the dream. He has a gift of interpreting the dream. And they have an in with Pharaoh. So they tell Pharaoh. And it goes into chapter 41 where Pharaoh now has a dream. And he comes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, here's my dream. And my dream is there are seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. What does that dream mean? Anybody ever had skinny cow ice cream? You ever know where skinny cow ice cream came from? The Bible in Genesis 41. Just kidding, but could have been, could have been. But he asked him, what, what, what does this dream mean? He says, okay, here's what it means. You're going to have seven years of economic growth and seven years of economic scarcity. Many historians believe that Joseph is the first macroeconomist. He goes to the great pharaoh of Egypt and says, here's how you're going to level the stock markets. The markets are bad. Things are very dangerous right now. And you do it by a different form of taxation. So he tells him that. In fact, there's a great Czechoslovakian uh, economist who wrote a book called The Economy of Good and Evil. And he has this quote in his book about Joseph. We're going to put it on the screen. Joseph gives us the first macro forecast of an economic cycle in human history. In Joseph's tax plan, Joseph offers Pharaoh economic advice. In this, we handily recognize later Keynesian anti-cyclical fiscal policy. Now, that's what I noticed when I read the scripture, didn't you? <laughs> smart dude. But Joseph here, right, he's so smart, rises the ranks, he's very successful, he's, he's, doing, he, he's killing it. I mean, he's killing it. But over here in chapter 42, the brothers aren't killing it. They're back home with their dad. And the seven years of scarcity, a famine has hit, and they're starving to death. And they hear that Joseph, somebody in Egypt has done such a great job. There's all the grain you want in Egypt. So he sends his brothers, hey, go to Egypt and go ask them to take this money and see if you can get some grain. Verse 4, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. Who's Benjamin? He is the next favorite son. Joseph is dead to everybody, right? Benjamin is the next son, the little brother of Joseph, to Rachel. So now Benjamin's the favorite. He says, I'm not sending Benjamin. You guys go get it. Now they go. So they get there, and they don't recognize Joseph. They don't know he's the overseer. They have no clue. And when they go and ask for the grain, it says right there in verses 6 and 7, they bow down to him with their faces to the ground, just like the dream. And Joseph recognizes them, the scriptures say. He recognizes them, and he remembers. Oh, how he remembers. He hasn't forgotten. And it says right there, this is very important. He says he pretended to be a stranger. He spoke harshly to them. He said, you're a bunch of spies. You're trying to spy on us. And they say, no, no, no. In verse 11, uh, we're not spies. We're honest men. We're honest men. We're not spies. And then it comes a key verse in, first, in verse 13. He says, your servants... 
We were 12 brothers. We were the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan, that is Jacob. The youngest, that is Benjamin, is now with our father, and there is one who is no more. They were talking to him. They didn't even know it. Joseph. They thought he was dead too. Joseph said, I don't believe you. I think you're a bunch of spies. I want you to go back, and I want you to get that youngest brother of yours that you're talking about and bring him here to me. And I'm going to keep one of you here as collateral just to make sure that you come back. Now, some of you right now are wondering, why is Joseph being such a, why didn't he tell him who he is? I mean, come on, they, they, they will do anything that he wants now. He's got them right where he wants them. Is he trying to make him squirm? Is he trying to rub it in? No, he's not. See, Joseph wants more than just to forgive his brothers. He wants more than to get rid of his resentment and all this anger he's been holding on to for 20 plus years. He wants reconciliation. See, some Christians, you go into reconciliation too quickly. Too glibly, you're just kind of too lighthearted. And you make matters worse. You forgive someone too quickly. Uh, you bring them into your life back, back too quickly without knowing you can really trust them. And it creates more dysfunction, more family drama, and everything just gets more painful, more, more ugly, and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And so he's waiting for the real deal. Things kind of turn right here. Verse 21, they speak to one another. Chapter 42, verse 21. Uh, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We, see, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, talking about Joseph. But, he would not, but we would not listen. And that's why now all of this distress is coming upon us. Two things about this little verse. First of all, earlier in the scripture, in the story, it never says that Joseph pleaded for his life. It never says that. Go back and read it. It never says it. But now these brothers are thinking back some 20 years later. You know what? When we were about to sell Joseph, he pleaded for his life, and we were totally oblivious to what he was feeling. But now they're aware. And something else happens. You'll notice in the text, surely we are being punished because, they don't say because of that dreamer, not because of dad's favorite. They say because of our brother they're changing they're beginning to grow and spiritually mature a little bit and Joseph notices it in verse 24 he turned away from them and he began to weep I mean he just began to cry he could not believe it they're changing they go home tell their dad dad we can't go back unless we bring Benjamin to get our other brother back. Dad says, not going, not taking Benjamin back, not going to do it. Chapter 43, the famine, though, it says, was still severe. It would not let go, kind of like COVID. It just wouldn't go away. It was a brutal world. People were dying. People were starving. 
Their family was in trouble. And dad finally says, okay, we got to have food. Go and take Benjamin with you. Go back. Get as much as you can. And so they do. Now, I want you to notice something that happens at the end of chapter 43. Joseph, when they come back with Benjamin, he throws a big old feast. And it says right there in the very last verse of 43, the portions of the feast when they were served from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion, the baby, was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. What an odd thing. Why did one get five times more than anybody else? Everybody would notice. Joseph was testing them to see if the lastborn, the baby, if they would envy him getting the firstborn portions more than anybody else, if they would be jealous, if they would be envious like they were of him. And they were not. And it touched Joseph. And so Joseph then in chapter 44, he loads them up with all the food they want. He even gives them back their money. He, gives them, he, he puts their silver back. He gives it back to them. He says, go home, go home, take it all. It's all me. It's free. It's yours. Unbeknownst to them, he had taken a cup, a silver cup, a priceless silver cup, his prized possession, and put it in the backpack of one of the brothers. So while they're on their way home, the servants come to Joseph, stop, stop, stop. Come back. You've got to come back. We've got to search your backpacks. So they searched all the backpacks, looking for the priceless silver cup that somebody had stolen that he had planted, and they found it in the backpack of Benjamin. And Joseph says, all of you can go home, but the boy must stay with me as a slave. He will rot in prison. Now, church, this is a turning point in the whole story. At one time, they got rid of a brother. They had to lie, be deceitful, trick their father because he was the favorite. And now they got another one. He is the favorite, Benjamin. The father really loves him. They can easily get rid of him and not even have to lie. I mean, after all, Benjamin may have taken it. He gets what he deserves. The rabbis of this time had a little, little saying that goes like this. You can tell who a true penitent is. That when they sin and they repent and they have an opportunity later to do the same sin and they don't. That's a true repentant. And so Someone stands up and says, no, this cannot happen again. We can't lose another brother this way. And so Judah stands up. Judah. Judah. The very same Judah who said, let's sell our brother. The very same Judah who tricked his father by the coat dipped in blood. The very same Judah last weekend who slept with his daughter-in-law Tamar who wanted to discard her on the side of the road and make her go away. That Judah stands up, gives an impassioned speech, the most passionate speech you're going to see, longest speech you'll see in Scripture. It's so long. I'll just give an excerpt from it. He says, hey, listen, uh, if you, my, our father has told us, if you take this one, that is the baby. I'm looking at verse 29. If you take him from me and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. And if my father, verse 30, if my father 
whose life is closely bound up with this boy's life, that is Benjamin, sees the boys in there. When we go back, he's going to die. And your servants, we will bring the gray hair of our father down to the grave in sorrow. And the moral to that verse is never, ever, ever hurt the feelings of someone who has gray hair. They are precious to God. Now, really what he's saying here is very touching. That verse is over here in verse 20 of chapter 44. He says, we have an aged father. And there was a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. And he is the only one of his mother, Rachel's sons left. And his father really, really loves him. I think this is so fascinating. It doesn't say the father loves me. It doesn't say the father loves us brothers. He says our father really loves him. More than anything in his life, he wanted the love of his father. Every child, every child, I don't care the state of the circumstances of your family, more than anything, they want to know and receive the love that you have for them. And Judah was the exact same way. But he didn't know and didn't feel that his father loved him. But he had learned what resentment and jealousy can do. He had learned what bitterness could, that had led him onto a self-destructive path. And he said, no more, no more will I lead a self-destructive life of anger and jealousy and hostility. I'm going to honor my dad, even though I am not sure if he really loves me. And so he does. And then comes the most poignant verse in all of the book of Genesis, besides Genesis 12, 1 to 3. And this is where the rabbis say the introduction of forgiveness comes into the Bible. It's in verse 33. Judah stands up and he says, let me go to prison in the place of Benjamin. Let me be punished for the cup being taken. I will suffer so my brother doesn't have to. And the very first time in the Bible, here in the opening chapter, somebody answers the question, I will be my brother's keeper. And the first opportunity of seeing where punishment is used for redemption, for setting somebody else free. Jesus. Joseph sees this. He's unbelievable. He says, oh, I know. Their hearts are totally changed. And he says, everybody, leave the room. Leave the room. Leave the room. And he weeps so loudly. Everybody could hear him throughout the kingdom. And he says, I am your brother, Joseph. It's me. I'm alive. And the scripture says they were stunned. They couldn't believe it. So he says, come closer. Come closer. Come closer. And down in verse 4, he says, hey, come close to me. Come close. He says, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. I love that last part. So human. Hey, remember, I'm the one you really did wrong. I'm the one you sold. He never forgot. Sometimes you and I use the word forgive and forget in the same sentence. In your notes, reconciliation is not the same as forgive and forget. If you forget, you can't forgive. 
Are you listening to me? Joseph did not forget. He did not pretend it didn't happen. He did not stick his head in the sand in the denial. He didn't rationalize and let them off the hook. This was real. This really hurt. I just don't want forgiveness. I want reconciliation. And that means I remember. And he does. And then he brings God in the equation in verse 5. He says, now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I think it's very interesting. He says, do not be distressed. He couldn't have said, do not be distressed, until he knew they were distressed. You can get outside of your own resentment that you have over someone, even if they don't repent. You can get out of your prison of bitterness, even if somebody does not repent. But in your notes, reconciliation, it requires repentance and trustworthiness over time. Twenty Two plus years of all this hard stuff along the way. And finally, he could trust them. And the repentance was genuine. And the family is finally healed. Now, Joseph is so thrilled when he finally they, they're healed, they're whole, and he gives them cards. It says in verse 21 of chapter 45, he gives them cards. He gives them, he says, new clothing to each of them. It doesn't say what kind of clothing. I think they each got a coat of many colors. They all wore the same coat now, I think. And there's so much crying in this, in this story. There's more weeping in this story than any other story in Genesis. But I think there's laughter too. And I think it comes down in verse 24 there of chapter 45. They're leaving. He says, hey, brothers, hey, bros, whatever you do, don't quarrel along the way. Because one time you got in a quarrel and you sold one of the brothers. Me. Don't do that again. Now, I told you this was a Christmas story. And it's 1030. Here it is. Chapter 49, Jacob is dying. He draws all of his brothers close to his side, his sons close to his side. He's going to give them each a blessing, but the most important blessing, it does not go. It does not go to the baby, Benjamin. It does not go to the golden child, uh, Joseph. It goes to the scoundrel, Judah. Look what he says. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Go on down. Your father's sons will bow down to you. It's not a dream. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Verse 9, you are a lion's cub, Judah. Verse 10, the scepter, that's what kings have, will not depart from Judah, not the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. Judah, the scepter, the kings of Israel, and the crown will not come from Benjamin. It will not come from Joseph. It will come from you. The first one will be the son, a king, and his name will be David. The next one will be the son of David, 
that is Jesus, who would be called the Lion of Judah, who one day will come into Jerusalem, not on a military horse, but a donkey, a symbol of peace and reconciliation. And his robe will be dipped in blood, not of the goat, but of his own blood, for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, because God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against him through Jesus Christ. And you yourself can be reconciled to God. You can. You can know the love of God. You can know the acceptance of God. You can know the forgiveness of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ and be reconciled back to him. You can. You can. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Everybody qualifies for a blessing in the kingdom of God. But it's not Christmas unless you get point five. Point five. I cannot accept God's gift of reconciliation and not seek it with others. Can't do it. I cannot say, God, I received this gift from you, this incredible, wonderful gift, but I'm not going to give it to her. I'm not going to give it to him. I'm just not going to do it. They deserve to pay. You cannot be a follower of Jesus Christ. And have those words come out of your mouth and mean, really, really mean them. So I'm asking you right now, Christmas 2020, to be reconciled to one another. Who are the people in your life that you've been thinking about as we've gone through this message? Maybe it's an ex who really betrayed you. I mean, they stuck it to you. Maybe it's a son or a daughter who has rejected you. Maybe it's a business partner who cheated you. You have a difficult person in your life, and you need that difficult person in your life because that difficult person, God is going to use them to help you spiritually grow up and mature into a healthy, moral, whole person and not be like the rest of the world. And if you don't have a difficult person in your life, you just call the church office and we'll give you one. We keep a list of them. <laughs> okay? We'll just help you practice on somebody that we're struggling with. Now, I don't mind telling you. I've been there myself. And I've got some people in my life that I poured my life into and they judged me, and they criticized me, and they just abandoned and just shh. And I was so close to them, and now it's just broken. I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not asking myself to do too. Okay? And it's hard. And it's messy. But it's worth it. Truth-telling, God-honoring, honest, true conversation, real reconciliation. I'm going to ask God to give me the strength to pursue it and for you to pursue it too, and let's all do it, okay? Let's just say we're going to do it. Now, I want to speak a pastoral word. I'm going to pray over you. 
And um, I want to speak a pastoral word here as you kind of get to a place of silence. I ask you to kind of on some people. And first of all, before we pray, on some people who have really been wounded. Because some of you I know, you've been hurt so bad. Somebody has taken your heart out. They step on it and just crushed it into the ground and left you for dead. Gutted on the side of the road. And if this is you, and you cannot even imagine reconciliation because you're still just so hurt. God, I just pray a blessing upon these people, these folks that are here that can hear my voice, God, that heaven would come into their soul. And just kind of begin to massage and to ease the anger, the hurt, the jealousy, the resentment, the, the bitterness, just the lingering. Whether that person is dead, God, be with you, or they're here on this earth, God, that, whew, would you please, God, would you please? Do what only you can do, God. Comfort your people. Now, I'm going to ask those of you, everybody, head bowed still, online, True Worth, Sanctuary, wherever you are, watch time of day, just, just stay there. Don't quit on me. I want you to think of those people that, let them come to mind, those names. Well, you're distanced and there's some sort of brokenness. I want you to picture their face. I want you to hear their voice in your mind. I know it's painful. I want you to get in touch with that person. See them in your mind. Get in touch with your feelings that you have about this person, whatever it is. Be honest. Hold nothing back. Name it. Say it. And why don't you ask God, why, why, why can't I just let this go, God? Why can't I let it go? Why can't I move on? Why does it still hurt so bad? If we had the time, I'd let you stay there for a long time, just wrestle with the why. But I want to ask you to ask God to soften your heart and ask God a question, God, what do you want me to do about this relationship? Just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? Let me send a note? Do I write a letter? Do I make a phone call before Christmas? Do I knock on the door? Have a face-to-face -face conversation? What do I need to do, God? And I'm going to ask you to be such a, have such a soft heart that whatever God asks you to do, you say, God, I'm going to do it. And you make a commitment. So I'm going to give you here just a few seconds right now, just a few seconds to wrestle with that decision. What does God ask you to do? Make the commitment.
Heavenly Father, I pray as we approach Christmas that all the anger, all the animosity, all the hurt, all the pain, all the suffering that is between your sons and your daughters, your brother and your sister's keepers, that is contained in darkness will come out into the light. And I ask you to cleanse it. I ask you to heal it. I ask you for the miracle of reconciliation. And I ask you to begin to do it in the name of the resurrected Jesus. Amen. And amen. Thanks for coming. If you're new, I'd love to meet you.